This is the Sports and Entertainment Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on market scale. Building your brand is not around your product, so your team and your players, but you build your brand around truly this experience and this community. And we aren't in the baseball business. We are in the entertainment business, the experience business, and most importantly, the people business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Sports and Entertainment Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming Kayor Parikh. He's the vice president and general manager of Intraplex products for Gates Air. And Kayor is coming on to give us a little more insight into the future and the current technologies that are impacting the radio broadcasting industry. Kayor, great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me, Daniel. So, Kayor, when I was doing a little research on your background, I found that you've actually won an award within the radio industry for audio technology innovation. Tell me a little bit about that award and why you received it. Yeah, so that award, I believe, was a couple of years ago. And, and that award basically was uh, related to the several products uh, that we had introduced over the years uh, from 2000. And 12 uh, to 2018, all related to radio broadcast industry's rapid transformation from moving Mm. from T1 uh, to IP. So all of our products uh, that we've introduced, you know, were very innovative uh, in uh, in what they brought to the table against, uh, you know, the technology that was out there. It helped our customers uh, reduce costs by, you know, allowing them to use uh, lower cost internet type connections uh, with uh, reliable transport uh, of, of their uh, audio from either studio to studio or studio uh, to transmitter link. And essentially, we brought a lot of networking-related capabilities into uh, the audio or IP codec, uh, which which was uh, a game-changer for the industry. And I'm glad that that's what you won your award for because that's exactly what we're chatting about today on the podcast. So to start things off, I wanted to ask you really to explain a little bit more about the industries that often use the audio codecs your company provides. Obviously, we're going to be focusing on the radio industry, but there are other applications, and I think that helps get a sense for what the technology really accomplishes and how it's applied. Yeah, so, you know, the audio codec uh, products uh, that we have, uh, if you if you look at the products, uh, they have basically two major components within the products, right? Uh, you can you can think of it uh, as one of the section uh, that does the audio encoding, uh, decoding, which produces uh, the media. And the second uh, component of the system is the network layer, which is the IP transport layer. Uh, so even though the, the devices or the systems are designed for the radio broadcast industry where we are transporting uh, the audio that's uh, ingesting uh, from the studio side and we are we are encoding it and we are creating media packets out of this we are we are then using those media packets and reliably and securely transporting them across the IP networks now if you think about it if you just think of those two subsections uh, you know of, of the system as long as you produce any type of packets, you know, whether those packets contain voice, you know, voice data, you know, audio data, video data, or just plain, uh, you know, plain data, those uh, packets can now be transported in our network layer protocols that we have developed uh, reliably as well as securely across the network. So the application of our product is pretty wide, even though right now the products are applicable in the radio broadcast industry, we have taken 
portions of those uh, technology and we have created a specialized gateway uh, out of the products uh, that can be used now in our mission critical public safety networks you know where a lot of our customers do have dual networks uh, they have a microwave network they have a a wired MPLS type network and they at the moment they use uh, a hard failover switchover to be able to switch uh, their connections from one network to other other networks so with our technology uh, you know they are now able to utilize both of this network in an active active format and provide hitless uh, operations when when there is a failure of one of the connections interesting so w- when we look at the radio industry specifically we know that their links were typically T1 links. They were reliable and standard for a really long time, but that's no longer the case, and we're seeing the radio industry have to move to IP. Can you give me some background and context as to why T1 links went from the reliable standard to basically now the unreliable standard and why IP was the solution? Well, so it's not that the T1 became unreliable, it's that the, the T1 services uh, uh, became scarce. And when, when a service becomes scarce, a telco do not have the economic of scales to be able to provide the service anymore. Well, what actually made them scarce in the first place? Well, because what allowed uh, customers uh, to move away from T1 to IP is, is uh, you know, two main reasons. One of them, they can now have greater flexibility, right? T1. Uh, circuits provide you point-to-point connection. Now, if you have an IP connection, you have a lot more flexibility in, in routing your services and routing your packets, you know, versus, uh, you know, connecting, uh, you know, using a T1 line. You need your old, uh, you know, cross-connects uh, and what have you to be able to switch uh, from point A to point B and from point, from point A to point C. With IP packets, you essentially just uh, change the destination IP address and the network does the switching for you, right? So that's one of the main reasons is the flexibility. And as the IP network be, you know, pro- proliferated, the cost went down, right? Uh, first, you've seen the transition of uh, the big uh, telecom companies in the in the mid '90s and the late '90s, as you know, uh, with the IP telephony. Right, it started off in the core uh, with the class four switching, you know, migrating from uh, T1 to IP, and and all of a sudden you started to see that migration, you know, carry all the way up to the edge into the consumer. Now today, most of the homes have a voice over IP line, so you can see that the I, the scale of the IP networks, the core of the IP networks, have grown enough capacity where it allowed them uh, to reduce the cost significantly and as a result more and more people started to migrate uh, to IP uh, and that caused uh, the telcos to now you know basically think twice about providing the services uh, for those T1 lines because it is very expensive to maintain a a T1 service for a customer that if you don't have many customers you know that doesn't work out financially. Yeah, definitely. So basically what we're seeing is because IP became more accessible, uh, you know, it was a lower price point, then it had a domino effect and made T1 links even more expensive than they already were. So do you see that in the future eventually T1 links are going to be totally phased out or is there still a world for them in the radio industry? Well, not, you know, in the radio industry at some point it's going to be phased out, right? Uh, we do see, continue to see T1 uh, networks uh, in a significant manner, especially with our mission-critical government networks, right? You know, those are large networks, and the telcos are very happy to provide 
services to the government because you know it's uh, they're not talking about you know one one line or two lines they're talking about thousands of lines right so in that world in the mission critical government network we are seeing a slow migration not as rapid as what we've seen with the uh, with the media uh, media industry and the voice uh, voice over ip or telephony industry so let's focus more on the actual innovation within IP technology. So what has changed about audio codecs for radio broadcasting in the last few years, specifically in the IP world, and how is that impacting not only the radio industry, but the providers and developers of that codec tech? Yeah, I mean, look, when, when, when the uh, codec uh, radio broadcast industry migrated uh, to IP, they had a different... Uh, set of uh, issues, right? I mean, when, when you think about uh, telephony, consumer telephony migrating, you know, to IP, uh, you know, the reliability was an issue. Uh, but you know, if you think about uh, the average phone call lasts about a minute and a half to two minutes. With with uh, terrestrial broadcast, you know, these are captive customers. So when they migrate to IP, uh, the issues with net- network reliability, spe- uh, specifically, you know, m- gets magnified, right? It's, if you have any sustained uh, duration of uh, distorted audio going over the air, you know, the listeners are going to tune out, right? And you're going to start losing revenue. So network reliability was one of uh, the uh, uh, paramount, uh, you know, issue that we saw very early on when we uh, introduced our Kodak back in 2012. You know, we knew that, uh, uh, you know, in order for the broadcasters uh, to be able to successfully uh, migrate to IP and, and, and that too, uh, to a reduced cost connection like low cost ISPs, you know, having techniques to be able to counteract this uh, impairments that you typically see in IP networks where you see, you know, different patterns of packet losses, heavy jitter, that's going to be very important, right? So this is, this is where we actually focus our architecture on. You know, when we first came out uh, with our product, we were the first product to actually come out with having three network interfaces on a, on a device. Uh, you know, in 2012, even today, we we know only us and a couple other vendors that have three network interfaces. Now, so how does this three network interfaces help, right? So if you think about it, uh, broadcasters, you know, would like to reduce costs for their transport. So they move to a low-cost ISP, and, and, and in most cases, they'll move to two of those connections, one from maybe a cable, uh, you know, cable modem guys, and one from DSL to keep those path independent. So we knew that two of those network ports would be you know, used for streaming. We also wanted a third network port for security to be separate from the outside uh, untrusted port so that uh, users can manage the box, right? So having those three network ports allowed us, you know, to have, you know, flexibility in, in connecting uh, to different networks uh, and, and uh, keeping the untrusted traffic uh, separate from the trusted traffic. And so with this advanced audio codec technology, including tech that brings, you know, three audio ports um, to the radio industry, I guess, you know, when you think of the radio industry, you don't often think innovation, right? It's not really known for its innovation. It's reliable and consistent, but not really pushing the mantle forward. So how are the producers within the industry adapting to this new technology and what are pain points that often come with adapting to these IP codecs? Yeah, so, you know, you're, you're right yeah, with, the, with the radio industry. And, and to be honest, this also was there with the uh, telecom industry. And I came from a telecom background prior to working for Gates Air. I spent uh, 10 to 15 years 
uh, in the telecom world, and I've been through the transition from uh, from TDM to voice over IP. You know, it's the uh, it's the uh, come up, coming up to speed on the on the technology. Uh, that's the biggest hurdle, right? And you're right. You know, while radio industry was uh, had had mature technology, but as they transition to IP, you know, now all of this network networking technology comes into play. And specifically for radio broadcasters, they had to come you know come up to speed quickly. You know, especially if they're going to be uh, re reducing their costs using low-cost ISPs to understand all these different techniques that the audio Kodak vendors, you know, will be uh, offering, you know, for reliability and security of their of their transport. So, uh, you know, uh, education, or spe uh, specifically networking uh, education, you know, has. Uh, you know, has has been an issue, and we try our best, uh, you know, to provide uh, you know a lot of webinars uh, to our customers, a lot of easy to read PowerPoint presentation, because we do know most of them come from RF background. Not a lot of them do have uh, you know uh, you know networking background. Some of them have a lot of good IT background, but they're slightly different than networking background. So, but slowly we are seeing that change now. The more and more customers that we talk to are a lot more IP savvy than about say five or seven years ago. And do you think there's a lot of education within the space too? Like, do you think that there is an encouragement from other professionals within the radio industry to bolster up their colleagues? Or is it often a, kind of a, a mad dash for everyone to figure out how to adapt and it's really up to companies like yours to bring the education to them? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I've seen a lot of vendors like ourselves uh, do, you know, training videos, uh, papers, uh, webinars, uh, seminars to educate uh, educate the customers. You know, uh, education within the customers. I mean, I do when I go to uh, NAB or PR, you know, public radio conferences. I do see uh, different radio broadcasters also doing presentation on lessons learned, uh, that kind of things, right? So you know, there is some level of that going on, collaboration going on within uh, the broadcasters. But I would say majority of the education is vendor driven. So last thing I wanted to bring up is really what kind of technology or specificities within that technology um, the radio industry should be looking for when they are migrating to IP uh, because it, it's a totally different system and can probably be a bit confusing at first. So if you had to break it down to the top three things they should be looking for in a reliable and efficient uh, audio codec when migrating to IP, what would you say they are? Well, so, you know, uh, two of those I already mentioned. I think uh, network uh, transport reliability, especially when you're uh, transporting your audio, whether it's studio to studio or studio to transmitter across a wide area IP network, especially a public IP network, uh, you know, to look for uh, techniques uh, uh, and methods within the codex to be able to handle uh, different type of impairments, right? Because IP network connections are not always same. Uh, one solution does not fit all. Uh, so you need to look for Kodak vendors that are offering uh, network analytics, uh, as well as different techniques, you know, that can be applied in a flexible manner, you know, for different type of connection, whether you have, whether you have a private connection, whether you have a public connection, microwave connection, or satellite connection. All of these connections have different uh, patterns of impairments, right? So you need to have have this uh, flexible, scalable solution in the audio codec. That's number one. Uh, number two is network security, right? I mean, even though the codecs are not uh, purpose-built firewall, you know, there has to be some level of security built into the codec to, to provide at least some level of deterrence. Um, and, and then, and third, so moving, moving from the wide area network side, you know, to the, uh, to the studio side, uh, one of the trends right now is, is convergence of uh, IT 
uh, and and broadcast uh, network broadcast systems, right? Uh, so AES 67 uh, is uh, is uh, one of those uh, requirements uh, that allows uh, the in-studio audio or IP networking. So instead of uh, running XLR cables for your analog or digital audio, uh, more and more broadcasters are, you know. Uh, uh, switching their audio, routing their audio within the studio uh, using AES 67, which now uh, combines uh, the broadcast and the IT network in, into one. So it simplifies it simplifies operation, obviously, right? So uh, what we see going forward is an end-to-end -end IP um, uh, ecosystem, right? IP packets coming in as uncompressed audio into the codecs. You know, the codecs would compress this audio reliably, transport them across uh, the network. And on the other side, right now, the exciter or the transmitter still, you know, pre predominantly have uh, analog or digital interfaces for audio. But in future, we see that even exciters, you know, will continue to also evolve and offer audio or IP interfaces. Now, if you think about it from from studio all the way up to the uh, the transmitter uh, chain, uh, the the audio remains in the IP domain, which allows a lot more flexibility in how you want you know to uh, to manage your equipment as well as your audio. So you know, looking for that convergence within the within the uh, you know equipment is also very important, allowing the customers to be able you know to have a future proof of their equipment when their entire ecosystem does transition to IP. Well, Kayer, I'd really like to thank you for joining us on the podcast and giving us your insight on what the technology right now looks like changing audio codecs for the radio industry. Coming from a broadcast and a radio background myself, I know how important it is for those industries to find innovative ways to cut costs and to stay afloat. And if that means making the migration from T1 links to IP and introducing some flexible and reliable codecs into their network, then, you know, I think that's definitely going to be a step forward for them, especially when they're battling with retaining listeners and content problems. You know, they don't need to be worrying about their network impeding their content from getting out to their listeners. So thank you again for coming on the podcast, giving us your insight, and I look forward to the next one. Thank you very much, uh, Daniel, for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. Make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.